right, folks, welcome back to the Not Funny Guys Present Why, exploring the philosophy, rhetoric, and cultural impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and this week I am joined by my wonderful and amazing friend, yes, folks, Marsha Greenway. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Good, good, good. All right. So, uh, reminder, this pod is an extension of our main podcast, The Not Funny Guys Presents Off the Reels, where we explore the films. And here, we explore some of the ideas and have a little uh, debate, discussion, however you want to have it. Usually doesn't get too controversial, but we start by asking the question, why? So, this is episode 18, Redemption and Self-Love and Loki Season 1. And we will be uh, possibly talking about Black Widow. I have a mixed feeling, but we'll definitely discuss it. But let's talk about some comic book origins first. Let's start with our fun Mobius character. Now, if you haven't, folks haven't been checking it out, season two is up now. You should be watching. If not, you should definitely watch season one before that. So, Mr. Mobius Moby M. Mobius, as he was called in the comic books, is an identical clone of Mr. Alternity and a member of the Time Variance Authority of the TVA. He was drawn to re actually resemble Mark Grunenwald, who was the longtime Marvel Comics creator, and he first appeared in Fantastic Four number 353 in 1991, created by Walt Simonson. He has, he has other aliases, such as Mr. Tesseract, Mr. Ouroboros, and Mr. Paradox. Interestingly enough, for the MCU, they don't have them play one person. I don't think Owen Wilson would want to play that many characters, but I'm glad they broke it up. We also have Renslayer. Uh, this is a comic books was the doomed lover of Kang the Conqueror, Rona Lexus Renslayer. First appeared in the Avengers number 23 in 1965 as a leggy blonde woman from the future. Created by Stan Lee and Don Heck, she refused Kang's love. And uh, from the 40th century too, just like him. Uh, strangely enough that he keeps chasing after her no matter what. We also have an organization this time. We have the Time Variance Authority, or the TVA, which first appeared in Thor, number 372 in 1986, created by Walt Simonson and Sal Bushima. Occupies a null time zone in the comic books, rather than we don't know where exactly it is in the MCU, and is dedicated to governing and monitoring the timeline. It is a responsibility of monitoring the multiverse and prunes timelines, quote, deemed too dangerous to exist, close quote. Now, in terms of Black Widow, we do have a couple things. First of all, we have Yelena and Taskmaster and Red Guardian, who happen to be real characters in the comic books. Interestingly enough, Drakoff, or General Drakoff, who's in charge of the Red Room, is not a creation, really, of the comic books. Uh, he is an MCU character exclusively, though apparently he is character, like, his character is credited to being created by Joss Whedon for some reason. And of course, the Black Widows is a code name in the comics, not an organization. However, Yelena Belova is a real character in the comic book. She was the second modern era character, modern era character to bear the name Black Widow. Devin Grayson and J.G. Jones created her for the Marvel Knights series, Wave 2, sketchbook number one in 1998. Her first continuity appearance was actually in Humans number five in 1999 uh, by Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee. Also, like Natasha, trained in the Red Room. And in the comics, though, she was a foe of Natasha sent to kill her, not actually um, an adopted younger sister, codenamed White Widow. And, of course, we have Taskmaster, who in the Marvel comics was a male character named Anthony Tony Masters, uh, created by David Michelin and George Perez and first appeared in Avengers number 195 in 1980. The character had a photographic reflexes that allow him to mimic the fighting style. Uh, but apparently this comes at the cost of his long and short-term memory. He was primarily a villain for Captain America, Ant-Man, Spider-Man, 
oftentimes a mercenary and in recent years has become more of an anti-hero being part of the Avengers initiative and secret Avengers. Of course, red guardians, there's actually a character title that has had several people access uh, or be that character, including Alexei Lebedov and Alexei Savoka, and along with five others. It is uh, Alexei Skozavaka, who is the one that they have portraying um, and this one, who was uh, originally a post-World War II character from the Avengers number 43 in 1967, originally created by Roy Thomas and John Buscema. Uh, he is, of course, the Soviet connect, uh, equivalent to, of course, Captain America. So, uh, like I said, I kind of noted that in this world, in the MCU, of course, we made some changes. But let's talk about, starting with Loki, and I want to talk about one of the interesting things, and they're continuing with this in season two, this idea of determinism versus free will. Uh, I'm calling this part one, Loki, because this has not been something that has only appeared in this show. But the last, uh, so now this will be uh, not be the last time we see this, but Loki season one is a testament or challenge the idea of whether we have free will and whether it is something we have or not, because it is sort of at the heart of Loki's own character. Now, if we think about this, determinism or deterministic point of view is the view that holds that many that that human behavior is predictable and, in fact, governed by both internal and external factors that guide it. Basically, we are sophisticated machines. The roots of determinism is in the sciences and focuses on the idea that what will happen will happen. It's patterned and predictable. Free will, though, suggests that we have the ability to make genuine choices that are not dictated by our environment or laws of nature, and we have a choice and are not bound in to do what already is, shall we say, predetermined. So what do we think about this idea of free will and determinism as it's seen in Loki? Marcia? Well, honestly, Loki is the very embodiment of chaos, so... He is definitely the perfect representation for free will in this instance. And honestly, my favorite part is actually at the end. Um, is it okay to give spoilers? I, I'm not no, sure no, yeah, no. I hope everybody who's listening to this, I hope you've watched the show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, at the end, when um, the female Loki kills Sylvie, yeah, so, yeah, when uh, yeah, when Sylvie. When Sylphie, uh kills he who shall not be named, um, it's basically setting, like she's getting rid of the whole, like she's basically setting them everybody free because yeah. in the order that they created, where he's, despite the fact that ever there was a war and there was all this chaos, there was also the free will which is unfortunately and but also fortunately a product of war is a product of uh, free will because people can choose to do and behave as they want mm -hmm. which isn't always a good thing <laughs> well um, i think that's fascinating because you say that you know loki is an agent of chaos but even loki's name is root worded for loop and the idea yeah. that he is stuck in a loop actually does say that he is locked into a determinism that he can't escape the same way that, I mean, I guess to say whether Sylvie's right or not is whether he who remains returns as he sort yeah. of implied. I mean, his threat is that this pattern is always repeatable. So, I mean, there yeah. is that element. 
And I feel like Sylvie's trying to break that pattern. She is. And in doing, in killing him, she is finally doing that. Well, think about the fact that she even rejects the name. She re- refuses yes, she to does. be called a Loki. Mm-hmm. Yes, she refuses to be called that. So it's. Uh... I, I think. It's just... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I think I think it's going to be I think it's something that's going to bear out because I, I'm noticing similar elements as, as it appears in season two, because and I, I will apologize to anybody listening. I'm going to just say it right now. I'm about to spoil some a little bit about season two or at least a theory. Is that in series two, in season two, we meet Ouroboros or OB, or as I used to know him, Data from the Goonies, um, or Short Stuff from the Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. But he actually seems to be, it seems to be quite fascinating to me that when they call him Ouroboros, this idea of infinity and this idea of a loop. And I feel like the entire season itself might be Loki stuck in another loop. Because we've seen the future, we're seeing elements of the past. And it seems like things are moving in a circle. Whether or not he breaks that circle, I think, is kind of interesting because that sort of seems to be what Sylvie was trying to do. But even I think she's realizing that it might not be that simple. Right. I mean, it's really hard to break the cycle, like you're saying, because it's... Yeah. Uh, it well, seems like Loki... no matter how often they like how many like even when they break the cycle, were they predetermined to break the cycle? Like, are they? Well, that's what he. Cycle that's to what create a second cycle. Like that's. What that's what he who remains implied. Yeah. He implied that this is meant is going to repeat itself. Now he, interestingly enough, by offering them a chance to take over in his place, that actually might have been the one choice that actually would have led to something different. Strangely enough. But I do honestly think that a lot of this is setting up what's going to happen in Secret Wars and the Kang Dynasty and other things down the road. But yeah, I think that, you know, I, I find it fascinating because I find the the whole debate about free will and determinism always to be something quite fascinating because th- people like wonder or not, you know, because Ravona Renslayer even said at the end of season one that she was off to find free will. And I think the implied element is, is that free will isn't quite as free as you think it is, or maybe it's not as free if you don't fight for it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Cause it seems like, cause even the, even in the sequence, and this is a spoiler for anybody who didn't see episode one of season two, there is a sequence where Loki is actually put in a position that in order to top, stop time slipping, he has to allow himself in a certain point to be pruned in order to then be recollected out of the timeline and put back in and that entire sequence of events, I think, will ultimately be revealed as something that had to happen in a deterministic fashion in order for that event to set things in motion. So I think he is, once again, without realizing it, already stuck in another loop, personally. And also that, that fits well with the actual mythology of the, the Norse god Loki, too, as mm-hmm. he was always predicted to... Um, kick off the end of the world so yeah. but the end of the world isn't just the end of the world it's a it's the end of that world yeah beginning of another one. so there's this mm-hmm. idea of the circles again there's this idea of a continuous loop of events yeah. um and that you know it's like the what is it, the battlestar galactica phrase um all this has happened before all this will happen again this idea that history is repeating itself and i think what's interesting to me is that for sylvie the and I think this is interestingly reflected in the new TVA, this idea that 
we shouldn't be so quick to try and regulate or control it, let it play out. If it truly is deterministic, then it will play out exactly as it always has. But if free will, it has to have a chance. I think that's one of the things that I thought was interesting about season two is that the people at the TVA, mainly B-15 and um, Mobius and them, seem to want to la- allow the branching timelines to grow out, see what happens. I mean, they're literally willing to test free will, you know, at their yeah. own expense, perhaps, too, because who knows what's happening with the TVA. Right. I just think it, it has a lot of uh, fascinating things yet to happen. But I think season one, I thought, was an interesting thing, because even though I think Loki, particularly himself and as well as Sylvie, represented an example of free will. They actually were making real choices because Loki got to see his own death. He saw what happened to him in the timeline. And then he was like, it actually sort of in a weird way kind of reformed him sort of made him realize that maybe he should make up different choices, you know? Honestly, one of my favorite parts of season one is when he's walking through the bullpen and he sees people using the infinity stones as paperweights. (laughs) Yes. And he's just kind of devastated because he's like, people died for these things and you got, Mm -hmm. you guys have like a hundred of them and you're just using them for paperweights and you got like a whole drawer full like a junk drawer full of infinity stones like just the like the insignificance of it all just kind of hit him and it was well just that's the, you know it's it's, it's it was casey casey is the guy who's telling him yeah oh yeah some guys use these as paperweights right yeah <laughs> well i think that was that was a wake-up call that like the rules and everything he understood was useless that was him really going through the looking glass He's in a completely different world. All his ideas and everything he thought was so grandiose was petty and pointless. Exactly. And that's what I think led him in a lot of ways. I mean, I feel like a lot of season one is him having an existential crisis. I mean, he's having a waking existential crisis of his own existence, trying to figure out who he is. And what's really weird and kind of strangely creepy, I don't know how you want to frame it, but the, the sort of strange attraction between him and Sylvie. I don't know how you want to frame that, but it's like, is that self love? Is that self love? But I've honestly found it both amusing and completely on brand for Loki. Yeah, no, I, I guess you're right. It does feel like it would be on brand, but I thought it was so fascinating because, in a lot of ways, it's like an it's like having an external version of him trying to find his own self love. Yeah, like exactly. stop hating himself, you know, because that's what he sort of seems to be, or what might be seen to be driving him a lot of the time is a. Uh, a jealousy, a self-loathing towards other people and what other people have. If there's one thing that can be said about Loki, it's that he does not do anything in a manner in which you think he's going to. (laughs) And for him to reach this sort of conclusion about himself by falling in love with an alternate version of himself is, like I said, completely, for me anyways, completely on brand for him. (laughs) That's true. I always thought that Richard Grant, when he played that uh, classic Loki, um, I love seeing the classic I, Loki. That was I, so I, great. that was such a great that was such a great age. But I thought was so fascinating was when he told his story and how he was there just like Loki was, except he faked his death again mm-hmm. and escaped Thanos and went to live quietly on a planet. And then what happened to him? He got lonely and he missed his brother. 
And so the moment he th- made one step in that direction is when they found him. You know, yeah. the idea that as long as he sort of pretended to be dead and was an insignificant participant in the timeline, he himself was um, not worth their attention. But the moment he tried to do one thing that got that rhetoric on that radar, which I thought was so tragic because I was like, oh, he missed his brother. How sweet. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So any any final thoughts on Loki before we'll move on to Black Widow here? Um. I enjoyed season one. I haven't uh, really gotten into season two yet, but I, I intend to. So, oh, yeah, no, it's 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 just as good. I think this is probably one of Marvel's better television shows, Disney Plus shows. Better this than one the, of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, well, I think some of the early ones were some of the best ones, to be honest. I don't necessarily think the, the thing that I guess sours the opinion, I guess, is Secret Invasion was kind of a massive flop. Yeah. Um, but I think most of their stuff has generally been pretty strong or bo- at least bold. Mm-hmm. Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and Loki Season 1 are probably in my top three. Yeah. Easily. Loki Season 2, I feel, will get there. I enjoyed Hawkeye. It was a different change of pace. I really did like Moon Knight. She-Hulk, I felt I liked the idea. I liked the concept. I feel like some of the execution was off, but I would I would not hold it against them. I think it was a necessary... Like, let's try this. Like, I did enjoy it. I'm not going to knock it, but I'm like not going to say that it didn't have its flaws, particularly the right. CG and some things like that. But I like that it was trying to do different things because I'm I'm into that. I like to see I don't need every show they do to be about the same thing or the same situation. I want there to be, you know, as Casey and Eric and I all talk about it all the time, we talk about the idea of we like the diversity. We like doing things. new. I know people were criticizing Moon Knight for being too out there. And I'm like, no, it needs. Let's be weird. Let's yeah. be weird, people. Let's do it. I mean, you built this clout, you know, with the main first three phases. Let's get weird. Let's get crazy. You know, as, as uh, Michael Keaton and Batman said, let's get nuts. Yeah, let's try exactly. some stuff. Let's try some stuff. Let's do it. All right. All right. And good. I- so. Yeah. The thing I liked about Hawkeye was that we finally got Hawkeye with hearing problems. Like and is, of course, a consequence of being a superhero. That he went through. Yeah, exactly. So see, next week, next week, I'm planning on talking about Moon Knight. So if you want to come back for Moon Knight, we can talk about Moon Knight, too. But we definitely that's next week's. OK, <laughs> so um, so let's talk about Black Widow real quick, because I thought it was something about, the thing that I talk about that I thought really long and hard about Black Widow, because one of the things that bummed me out about this movie was that she should have gotten this movie way earlier. This oh, movie God, should yes. have happened in like phase three or phase two. I feel like they kind of did her dirty, but mm-hmm. I still think it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. It's still a good one. Um, it has a great cast. Um, and I, I think one of the things I thought was really interesting about it. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it with you is the idea that family is not just about who your blood relatives are. That's true. This, this is this whole thing in here. In the case of Natasha, we meet her as a young girl in the movie with her quote unquote family, which is made up of a fake sister, a fake father, a fake mother. The family isn't really fake, though, because the bonds they make that are real. And in many ways, it speaks to this kind of one might have two types of family, your blood family and your friend family. Friends are it can be just as close or just as close to you as as real family. They can be real family to you. The bonds between them are not fake. And I think that's borne out, especially with Natasha and Yelena, this idea oh, of what what was it real? And 
Natasha tries to resist that quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that she came around to it at the end because I'm speaking with you, you know, I think of you as family. Oh, 100%. You know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like, the, the, you know, family, friends of the family you choose, you know, just as much as they might be a, a blood band. But like when I talk about you guys to my kids, I'm like, Aunt Marsha, Uncle Casey, you know. Because exactly, that's how yeah. I, you know, because that's how I would think of them as you, like you were like a sister and a, and he's like a brother to me. So I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense, you know. So I, I just think a- that's family. So what do you think about that idea? What, how is it seen in the movie? Well, I am always like one of my absolute favorite quotes that gets misquoted all the time because people forget they only quote half of it is the um, blood the whole blood is thicker than water thing is actually the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb, which is 100% accurate. And they display that so accurately in this movie because these people bleed together Mm -hmm. and they form a closer family than a lot of people who are born into a family. There's experiences that you go through with people that forge i mean it's it's not unlike you know it's not necessarily to that extreme but like people who fight alongside each other in the military yeah they're not related but those people are like brothers in arms and that's like they those bonds because you share things together i think what it speaks to is this idea and you're right about that quote i love the fact that 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 quote is so often misquoted i know it's like i'm like yeah i like you know i love i remember watching somebody did an instagram reel or something where they corrected it they literally pointed out this is why people quote it or like the way they segment the quote. And then they read the whole thing like you just noted. And it was like, yeah, no, there's more to it. And you're right. I think it's it's an overlooked aspect. But I think in our modern day and age, I think it's becoming more and more accepted that, you know, people form ties with friends that can be even closer than family. I've known people who were. I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I think in many ways, I would think our friend Casey sees us closer than his real family in some degrees, because I know he's not close with some of his other family members. So I would definitely say he would see us as more closely than some of his own blood family. Well, sorry, he's Casey. definitely a brother to me, just like you are. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, Casey, I'm not spe- I'm not going to name any more names there, but I think you would agree with me. So if you are listening to this at some point, just know that I mean that with all respect. Brother. We love you, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I just think that's fascinating. And I think, you know, losing friends can also be just as hurtful as losing a family member, you know? Absolutely. And so, in some cases, I feel like it can be more devastating because with the family member, you're born into that and you kind of trust them because you have to. Whereas when you make a friend, you build that trust, mm-hmm. you earn it slowly, you, you open yourself up to that person, because, not because you have to, because you're related, but because you want to, and you develop mm-hmm. everything, you develop that love, you develop that trust, and that loyalty, and then to just have it severed. Honestly, no. I have cried harder over the losses of friendships than I have over the losses of family members. I agree. And I, I won't say in names or anything, but you, you know of a particular situation and I will say that hit me longer and harder than any loss of any blood relative I've ever had. 
and it took me a lot longer to process it. So I understand yeah. that completely. You know, I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying there. And I think I agree 100%. But I mean, I think it just, it speaks a lot, I think, to how you're right about the idea that your family, blood family, you're always connected to them. But your friend family, because you're someone that you choose those bonds, you know, because that was your choice. And, you know, most of the time with family, that's not a choice. Um, it's like, you know, sometimes it's an obligation. However, <laughs> I think with people you chose to let in and to share a bond with, it feels less like something. I mean, I, I would say that it does feel like losing somebody, but it also feels very, it cuts deep, I think, because it feels very close to like a betrayal. It is. Regardless, of how, regardless of how it ends, you know, regardless of how it actually ends. Yeah. You know, you've lost something. You've lost a part of yourself that you relied on because, I mean, I have two brothers and I don't talk to them every day. I we we chat back and forth intermittently, but I talk to like, say, you and Casey and other people probably more frequently. And I share more information with you guys more frequently. And, right. you know, and then when all of a sudden you don't have that person there. You know, and to relate this back to the material we're talking about, I think this is how Yelena felt when yeah. she lost Natasha. She needed that someone. And mm -hmm. I think Natasha had to realize that she needed it too. Because she went off and made a new family with the Avengers. But here is somebody in Yelena who actually knew her from before all that, you know, from before right. everything, going all the way back to when she was a child. And I think there is something about that those childhood connections that run very deep, or at least when you're younger, you know, most, you know, it's like friends from college as they like to say the, and the eternals when the other ones show up, it's like, Oh yeah, it's my friends from college. You know, it's friends from college. Exactly. It's friends from high school. It's friends from church. It's friends, you know, different friend groups who, you know, intermingle in your life. Some of them become very close. Some of them just stay acquaintances. But I just think it, it. I think that's something that I I took away from that movie that really spoke to me, and I I I know it speaks to you too. Absolutely, yeah. Just the whole, the found family, as they yes. call it. That that is. Those are always my favorite. Is the found family, and then it's always sad when they don't stay together. Mm. But. In a way, like, I feel like they kind of, like, especially with Black Widow, like, how they found each other again. Yes. And reconnected. Like, that was great. I, I must Even say though, that Red Guardian continuously trying to profess his feelings to Natasha and her never being on the other end wait, when he was trying to do it. Oh, my was, God. Was, was, was quite hilarious. <laughs> That's I love that character so much. Oh my God, he was David great. Harbour <laughs> did a really great job. I like to make jokes about the fact that David Harbour around this exact same time in Stranger Things was also in a Russian prison. So he got to spend That's a lot right. of time yeah, as two different right. characters in two <laughs> Russian prisons. I was like, man, you got a lot of experience in those Russian prisons, my friend. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's good. So um, any, uh, any last thoughts on Black Widow? Um... I just really enjoyed the movie and like you, I agree that it was, they did her dirty. They should have done this 
way long ago. I think it could have been more impactful if it had been in phase three before Infinity War. Oh, 100%. You know, really could have had yeah. a bigger impact because it made it kind of tragic. Still, because right, like the whole time you're watching this, you're like, oh, wow, she's dead. Like they're they're forming yeah. all these bonds, these this love, but she's dead. Like yeah. it's just not coming back. Like this is yeah, it's kind that... of almost like an empty feeling watching it the whole time, knowing that no matter how this ends, she's going to die. Like it's yeah. Yeah. Like they should will say. Yeah. I will say that William Hurt being in here, his I will miss him as Thunderbolt Ross because I hated him so hard <laughs> as that character. Oh my god. Oh my god. I don't yeah. know if I'm gonna be able to hate Harrison Ford the same way I hated William Hurt as Thunderbolt Ross. And I know I'm supposed to not like him, but just the way he played it, it was so brilliant. I was like, I want to reach to the screen and strangle you all the time. <laughs> like insufferable. All right. Okay. I'll have to let that one go. Sorry, William Hurt. R.I.P. Man. But no, you you did a great job. You really made me hate you. All right. So, folks, that's it for this episode. Tell us. We want to hear from you. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us what you think. Write us at notfunnyguys.offthereels at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents. Over on Twitter, I will never call it X at notfunnyguyspod. We're over on Blue Sky at the not funny guys. Keep it strange, folks, and keep asking questions. Until next time.